folks. Welcome to the Machine Repeat Podcast. This is podcast number three. Since we set sail here recently, we really appreciate you spending some time with us each week for these conversations with people across the the ag space and machinery space in particular. And i got a really fun conversation for you today. Now, you know, I've been covering these auctions now 30 years. I can't believe it's been three full decades I've been doing this, but <clears throat> boy, I've met so many terrific people, uh, farmers, dealers, lenders, just all across the space. Now, I got to say, one of, one of my all-time favorites, that's who we're talking to today, Ben Baer. I got to know Ben a number of years ago. Uh, he was remarketing manager for 21st Century Equipment out in western Nebraska. Very helpful to our machine repeat business uh, with, you know, advice, things we could do better for dealers and farmers. And just a just a good dude. Works really hard. Quick with the laugh, but just, just you know, some people you meet and they're just, you, you feel blessed. Now, Ben has been out west. He moved out to Oregon uh, a couple years ago and works with uh, uh, Pape Machinery out there now, great John Deere dealer with 20-some stores through four western states. So I was interested to talk to Ben about, you know, some of the agriculture out there, so different than back here in the Midwest, and, and to get the boots on the ground report on what's happening out there. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation, and uh, let's go to that little chat with Ben right now. All right, folks, I want to welcome our guest on this week's Machine Repeat podcast, my good friend Ben Baer from uh, Pape Machinery out in Oregon. Ben, how are you doing today? Great, Greg. How are you? Well, not too bad. Now, I forget, Ben, what, what town in Oregon are you in now? Based out of Tangent, Oregon, which is uh, right at Albany. Just between Portland and Eugene. Okay, and Ben, you are real uh, regional sales manager with with uh, Pape Machinery. Is that is that the title these days? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Now we should probably tell the story here, how we got connected. I think it was like it seems like yesterday, but like five and a half, almost six years ago, when we were building out our MachineRepeat.com, our new website, and I had partnered with Farm Journal, our Machine Repeat business. We established kind of a a dealer outreach board, and at the time you were, uh, I think, were you remarketing manager with 21st Century Equipment in Nebraska, Ben? Yes, that's correct, yep. And so we were very appreciative of, of you and a number of other dealers coming out to meet with us, and uh, what do you remember about that meeting way back when? I remember, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about what really do dealers want to see and uh, machinery Pete and farm journal had put a ton of time and effort into uh, researching the way that people search and look for machinery, the way they find machinery right. online and uh, just a lot of really good solid discussions about what the, what the future of, you know, the, the online farm equipment marketplace looked like and what it was going to be in the future. Right. Doesn't seem like five and a half years ago, does it? It does not. No, not at all. Time moves fast. Now, you you were a 21st century remarketing manager. How long were you there, Ben? I was there for about five years. Uh, uh, yeah, for five years. Okay. And you and then you moved out west. Was that is that like two years ago, roughly, or three now? Right at two years ago, yep. Two years ago. Now, you're an Idaho boy. Uh, where did you grow up? In Idaho, I, I forget the town, Ben? Born and raised in southeast Idaho in Blackfoot on a potato farm there. Potato farm in Blackfoot. Okay. And so 
getting back out west, I, you went a little farther west, out to out to Oregon there. But did that was it sort of like a move home for you, or just business opportunity took you out that way? Oh, business opportunity for the most part. Everybody says, "Well, you move to Oregon, you move closer to Idaho than Western Nebraska," and in all reality, where I live in Oregon, it's further from home than it, in Western Nebraska. Ah. Yep. Uh, so people kind of forget that. When you're, when you're in western Nebraska, you're pretty far west, aren't you? You're pretty far west. You just drive across the state of Wyoming and you're there. But uh, now we drive all the way across Oregon and all the way across Idaho to get home. So. Okay. Boy, you made quite a jump, though, from uh, the farm equipment and the farming of what's happening in western Nebraska and eastern Colorado out to Oregon. I know when you got out there, you would send me these fun notes. It's like you went to a different planet out there, the stuff you guys are doing. I often tell people uh, that it's like moving to a foreign country as far as agriculture is concerned. <laughs> Nothing the same. Well, Ben, I just wrote down a few notes. You've sent me some awesome video clips, uh, cell phone clips, and I thank you for doing that. Uh, folks, you can find them out on YouTube. I'll post to these. But Ben sent me video of, uh, for example, of a helicopter harvesting Christmas trees. Uh, was that Washington or Oregon? I forget where that was, Ben. That was Oregon. Oregon, and I'm guessing you maybe hadn't seen that done in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, when you were back there? Uh, the only Christmas trees in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, are in the parking lot there at Walmart. <laughs> so <laughs> they don't have Christmas tree harvest is kind of a slow time in Nebraska. Okay, okay. Well, let's see. I'm trying to remember now. You also sent me a video. I don't know. You'll have to tell me what time of year it was, but it was a John Deere W260 cutting turnip seed. Uh, when, when was that? Uh, cutting turnips was probably middle of August, I would guess. Okay. Uh, yep, middle and, of August. And then also a demo, a John Deere S660 combine. Uh, what was it, arrowleaf clover that it was rolling through? Yeah, arrowleaf clover. That would have been about uh, the first part of August. Uh, they grow many different types of grass seed and clover seed here. And we start harvest about the 15th of June, and we're harvesting something literally till about the 1st of November. Wow. Now, what, what are the other uh, crops out there that are, are grown, the, the farmers you guys are dealing with at, at Pape? Uh, right now, as far as uh, that part goes, you know, we're in the grass seed capital of the world. Uh, we grow a lot of clover seed, a lot of turnip seed, sugar beet seed. Lots of different types of seeds are grown in the valley here. Um, hazelnuts are a big thing. Uh, that industry is on the rise in a big way with the uh, with Nutella, and mm. that's, a, that's a hazelnut-based product. So the demand for that is high, and we're planting trees about as fast as we can. Really? Until um, until the uh, the farm bill was passed and hemp was legalized, and now hemp is the. Uh, just speaking to a colleague of mine here at Pape, and he said. That hemp is the modern-day agriculture gold rush. Mm. Uh, yep. We're seeing echoes of that out in the Midwest here to Minnesota. I have a college buddy that I bumped into the other day, and he said, Pete, guess what? And I'm like, what? And he goes, guess what I'm growing? And I said, mm, hemp? And, yeah, it's just taken off everywhere, isn't it? It's gone wild. Um, outside of the hemp thing, we do quite – there's quite a few vineyards and – and the wine industry is growing rapidly in Oregon, so okay. there's a lot of fun stuff happening out here. 
Okay, now, so you, I mean, you were right in it as a remarketing guy in, in western Nebraska there, Ben. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the timing and that fun time back three, four, five years ago, what you were dealing with. But mm-hmm. to go from that, dealing with, you know, b- b- huge horse tractors, four-wheel drives, now you're talking vineyard and hemp and hazelnut and grass seed. When you moved out there, uh, and you're an Idaho boy, but... Uh, how long did it take you to feel like your feet were on the ground like, I got this? I'll call you when I get to that <laughs> point, Greg. <laughs> uh, if you say that, Ben, I know how sharp you are and fast you are on the uptick. So, But the variety, that's got to be really fun, all this stuff you're dealing with. Yeah, there's a lot of new things, a lot of exciting things happening every day. But but uh, I was just talking to somebody else here earlier today, actually, and uh, I said, you know, I still don't quite feel like I got my feet underneath of me. Yeah. But everything going on, all the different things happening, it's just something new every single day, and it's hard to feel like you got your thumb on it. Right. So your area, you said, is the grass seed capital of the world? That's correct, yeah. So, again, that's now Tangent, Oregon. Where did Oregon? You said that's Western Oregon? Yeah, Western Oregon, uh, right in the Willamette Valley between Eugene and Portland. Eugene and Portland. Okay, got it. Um, so I'm trying to think here, grass seed, that industry is with all the home building across the country. Is, is that been a good time for grass seed or does that have nothing to do with it or? It's a phenomenal time for grass seed. Actually, grass seed prices are good. Um, they're, you know, depending on how many golf courses are going in football fields, soccer fields. Now, of course, some of that's artificial turf nowadays, but uh, subdivisions and things drive that as well as cover crops and the, some of the cover crops that are grown in the midwest um uh, drive that industry as well and so gotcha. with the demand for cover crop seed it's we've gotten busier with that so uh really our agriculture here if you ask me today what the price of corn is i have no clue right i, I got zero clue what the price of corn is wheat is you know soybeans any of that stuff yeah, it's really driven by a completely different, different thing. Did it you know? when you moved out there, Ben? In, in the couple of years you've been there, is and like you say, you don't you're not plugged into the price of corn and beans every day. Is that is there a freedom in that now that you've you diversity? You've got all this other stuff going on. It's not all dependent on oh my god, what what's corn doing today? Uh, there is some freedom in it, but there's also because everything is a specialty crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of unsurety in that, mm-hmm. and and farmers make decisions differently because literally everything they're growing is a specialty crop. So they they don't have the latitude to you know play against futures and some of the different things right. that they can in the Midwest. Right. So with hemp coming on you know so strong out there, is that where is that pulling the acres from? Well, anywhere they can find, literally uh, okay. from. I saw a hemp field just south south of Portland on my way home from a meeting the other day that was probably a half an acre. So right, um, right outside you know, that Walmart parking lot, huh? Right. There you go. And uh, anywhere up to, you know, some of the bigger farmers are jumping in feet first. We had some business last year. It's exponentially larger this year. You know, and a lot of guys went from maybe 40, 50 acres to, all right, let's try 800 to 1,000. So wow. it's, it's gotten 
to be a big, big thing. And Oregon, does it have the legislation? Are you guys farther down the road in terms of it all legalized? And do you have the local uh, processing capacity out there? That really, I guess I feel like, and I'm not real well educated in the field by any means, but I think that that's more or less the bottleneck in the industry. You know, right. We can come up with a land to plant it. We can grow it and and so forth but last year when you start talking about harvesting and processing the crop last year guys were harvesting it by hand cutting each stalk off by hand drying it in a barn by hand and you can only process so much that way and this year there's people using anything from a forage harvester to a baler to a combine to uh you know a machete to harvest the stuff and it's just going to be interesting to to see who really can get it harvested, get it harvest or get it harvested, get right. it harvested rapidly enough and processed to turn it into cash. I think we need uh, to get some of our Midwestern dealers that are sitting on some of these self-propelled forge choppers into this hemp thing and uh, see if we can't ramp this up a little bit, help help move some of those things. I think it will free up some of that market, maybe not quite as yeah, take a while. As the, Midwest guys would hope, but <laughs> right. Uh, right. It, it is going to free up some, you know, some some of those stress points in the equipment. Right. For sure. Yeah, my Minnesota buddy here that I bumped into, he was telling me about growing. Like you say, they were just doing like ten acres, but he's got his father-in-law is doing four hundred, and he he told me, Pete, he said the problem is, where do we send it to process? And I guess Kentucky's a center, and there's, I don't know, so. I'll, It'll be interesting to watch, but do you have any, have you heard anything, Ben, in terms of processing uh, plants in development, or is it a, a grower thing together where that's that might have to happen, or what do you think? Well, there's growers that are getting involved in building dryers and processing facilities. There, there are some of those folks that are doing that. Uh, there's also a lot of outside investors, big money, that oh, are investing right. large amounts of money trying to get processing facilities up and running rapidly so that they can handle the you know the influx of crop here this fall um so it just depends i mean there's no one person that really is doing it right if you got if you got the money to do it guys are trying it because if you get it right it can be extremely lucrative like you say that gold rush type of feel um well that's interesting okay let's wind this back a little bit ben now again you grew up southeast idaho um, and I, I've known you from the farm equipment business here, but tell me what that was like growing up in southeast Idaho. Well, in southeast Idaho, I grew up prototypical uh, southeast Idaho guy on a potato farm and uh, thought we had the world by the tail growing potatoes, and most of our potatoes were were uh, processed into French fries. And really, that's where I learned my love for machinery and the machinery business, you know, from my grandfather and my dad and, and being on the farm and doing some of those things. And then my grandpa in the wintertime, uh, we would restore antique machinery. And then I got more and more involved in the machinery deal. And when it comes time to find something to do, and I decided I wasn't going to stay on the farm, it was uh, really the second. Uh, it, it became the first thing. It's always kind of been my first love. And that's what I decided I was going to do. So we, I jumped in feet first and decided I was going to sell equipment, and now here I am in Oregon. Well, I, and I've met a lot of people, Ben, in the 
industry. I don't, I don't know that I've met anyone that loves the machinery aspect of it more than you do. And, and, and I know, like you said, a lot of that came from hanging out with your grandpa, Ron uh, Bear. Now, now Ron, uh, he passed away, was it 17, a couple years ago, or 18, Ben? Yeah, it would have been September of 17, yep. 17, okay. And, uh, yep. boy, I wish I could have been at that auction a year ago, July 12th of 18, out in Idaho, your grandpa's estate sale. Uh, that had Sullivan, our friends at Sullivan Auctioneers did the sale, but the sale bill itself was the most beautiful sale bill I've ever seen. Picture of your grandpa and the mountains there. Tell us about your grandpa, Ben. You say you spent a lot of time with him growing up. He, he was kind of a mechanical whiz? He was definitely a mechanical whiz. I wish that I had uh, half the make you know, even a tenth of the mechanical ability that he did really uh, could fix anything. Uh, one of my earliest memories of him was he went and bought a Waterloo Boy tractor in cardboard boxes and brought it home and put it together. Wait a minute. Um, he bought a Waterloo Boy in boxes? It was in, bought it in towns in Montana, and it was in boxes. And he looked in the boxes and filtered through the boxes and said, yeah, I think it's all here. Let's give it a try. <sighs> And uh, we went home, and it took him a couple of winters and put the thing together and made the parts that he needed to make that we didn't necessarily have. And uh, wow. anyways, that, yeah. So, so yeah, and I'm trying to remember on the auction, there was quite a bit of anvils. and So he was he kind of a blacksmith also? He did. He did some of that work as well, basically. Okay. Anything, you know, he – if it, one of his big deals was it always cost too much money to fix it or buy the parts. So mm. he'd spend 10 hours fixing something he could buy for $10 in town. Well, I don't know. <laughs> What's matter the time of, worth? <laughs> it's a matter of principle, young Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it was to him. So the he, parts he, were too expensive. <laughs> I'm sure he, he, he wasn't just hammering on the iron. He was hammering those lessons into young Ben's head as a, as a young boy, huh? That's accurate, yep. So now I'm remembering that sale, Ben. There were there were two Waterloo boys on the sale last uh, July. There was what a 17 model R and then a 20 model N, and the the R went for 60k, the N for 50. Were one of those? Was that the one in the box from uh, Montana? Yeah. I don't remember if which one was which, or if they were both kind of in a box. Um, I bet you. I think the man he bought them from, his name was Paul Thompson, okay. if I'm not mistaken, in Montana. Yep. But uh, anyway, I don't remember which one was in a box or if they were both in a box, but right. that was a lot of years ago, Greg. <laughs> right, right. Well, let's see now. So, Ben, you, you got out of high school. Uh, what did you do? Did you go to college? Did you get right into, into the business world? What? How did that flow for you? Well, I went into college and spent a couple years at college and never finished a degree and had all the intentions of doing it and family ended up in a bind and needed help during harvest. Sure. I went home, helped with harvest, worked on the farm for a little while, did some online school, and then one day decided I was going to start selling machinery and like a, I, I still think it was a mistake, but I decided I had the world by the tail and never finished my degree and anyway. So, so who did who did you start working for right off the, was it 21st? No, right out the gate, I started working for Rocky Mountain Machinery. Oh. That's where we always bought our machinery. And okay. I called them and basically told them 
hey, I'd like to like to sell machinery. And my good friend Brian Harrington told me, no, you don't. It's not a good idea. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um. I was a, a little too bullheaded, and I told him three times, and finally I guess he said, well, this guy's serious. I'll give him a chance. So, so what year was that? When did you start with Rocky Mountain, Ben? 2007, I believe. And how old? So you were like, what, 19, 20, 21? No, no, I was 2007. I was about 25. At that 25, time. gotcha. Okay. So when you, when you started selling, what do you remember about like your first six months on the job? Was it like Brian was telling you, or did you just, were you in hog heaven? This is what I want to do. This is awesome. Big learning curve. What do you remember? I remember Brian handed me a, paste, a, a tablet and a pencil and said, go start selling. And I said, what kind of training do we have? And he said, it's uh, the school of hard knocks. Go see what you can get done. Okay. <laughs> so I started piecing everything together I could. And I had a couple uncles in the machinery business that helped me out. You know, well, have you talked to this guy or do you know that guy? And Right. Just started building relationships with people and met some really people, really really good people that I, you know, that are still dear friends to to this day. Sure. And uh, anyway, it's kind of like kind of like anything, Greg. Whatever you put in is is about what you're going to get out. Boy, so I isn't hard at it, and it was it was a blessing for me. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Get out once you put in. There's no shortcuts. People always yep. looking for shortcuts, aren't they? Um, That's correct. So, how many years were you with with Rocky? I was with Rocky Mountain Machinery for until 2012. Okay. The day my second daughter was born is the day CNB took over that dealership. Okay. Uh, CNB bought the dealership there in Blackfoot. I worked for CNB for about one year, and sure. then I and then I landed myself in western nebraska okay well i want to talk a little bit about that so you were in western nebraska you were remarketing manager for 21st century what are the i'm, I'm trying to remember were they like 17 or 20 stores or 15 or something 15 i think at the time 15 16 stores okay when, when i first hired on they were like nine i believe and then we did some acquisitions and ended up with 16 i think i right. don't remember any of that. right it gets hard to remember all the acquisitions and mergers these last five years but you were at right. the wheel there as a remarketing manager, Ben. So when commodity prices, you know, fell spring of thirteen, in the industry wise, particularly in the Midwest here, with twenty first century the footprint, um, there were too many late model combines, too many late model tractors, too many big late model used planters, sprayers, I stuck on a lot. You were in a tough chair back then. What do you? I mean, you you must have some vivid memories about those days. I didn't really understand what I bit off <laughs> when, I, when I took that job, but right. uh, it was a lot of learning and uh, it was a great experience, but boy, did I have my hands full. Well, one thing that, you know, I would talk to, talk to a lot of uh, dealers around the country, tons of great people known for 30 years I've been doing this, but I always appreciated, Ben, that your approach, you weren't going to sit back. I mean, it didn't seem like that was in your DNA. I don't know if that was from Grandpa Ron or what, but um, you you were you were moving forward. And I remember, you know, fourteen was tough. Uh, you know, you're trying to swallow the whale as an industry, the farm equipment dealers, to move this excess bubble. 
But you guys with 21st Century, you were you were some of the first to have some really unique auctions. I, I'm trying to remember. I know you had one like September of 15. I'm trying to remember. I don't know if you had one in 14. Do you remember? Uh, we had two inventory reduction auctions, two sizable inventory reduction auctions. Uh, then was involved in a couple other auctions, and then and then kind of was we were moving, you know, miscellaneous equipment all the time, right? Uh, wholesale as, as rapidly as we could offload it. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, and I, I I really liked what you guys did back then with the sales, uh, you know, pushing the edge of the envelope, so to speak, to make the auctions kind of events. Uh, I remember a full page letter from the from Owen, the owner. 21st century, kind of inviting people to come out for a steak dinner the night before the sale. And, of course, our friends at Sullivan's, they pretty progressive with the way they approach things. But, um, yeah, that had to be interesting days going through that. Uh, and then I got to pick your brain a little bit too, Ben. Um, so in 15, when leasing took off, um, I was pretty concerned at the time because I, I remember what happened in the late 90s when, when leasing took off and all the tractors came off lease. And they just piled up, and they wound up selling heart, you know, wholesale auctions, just getting murdered. Um, but again, you guys are, and you were kind of at the forefront of, you know, you know, getting in there and, and moving some off-lease uh, tractors and equipment all around the country. And again, you were pretty aggressive on that front. Yeah, that was an opportunity that we found after we'd taken our beatings, uh, as far as you know, some of our inventory equipment and. I still remember the day my boss, Tyler Burkholder, walked in the office and he said, I'm done losing money. Let's start making some and we're going to figure out how to do it. And uh, we, we figured we'd been the sellers and, and we'd been getting our butts kicked and we wanted to be the butt kickers instead. Right. And uh, that's when we started buying up any opportunities that we could find. And uh, in retrospect, that's probably something that we should have done far more often and far earlier in the process, uh, you know, is, is, is to do a lot more buying to understand what the market is. You know, that, that's a great way to understand right. what the machine market is to go buy something. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. That gets back to uh, how I got started doing this 30 years ago. My dad as a dealer, you know, wanting the auction data to, to, to see what you know what's hot what what are people wanting and then the flip side ooh where are the ouches you know try and stay away from those buggers um so you came through that and again mm -hmm. the, 2 years ago moved out west now through through your experience Ben on the sales side remarketing regional manager now with with Pape I mean what what is it about the farm equipment business that that you love the most you know, I think it always comes back to the people. You can say that you you love the machinery, and I do love the machinery. And there's there's a lot of cool things, you know, some exciting stuff. We're demoing uh, combines and balers and different things today that are really neat, uh, you know, pieces of equipment. They're very efficient and can make the farmers a lot of money. But at the end of the movie, it's dealing with folks like my grandfather, folks like my family that I grew up with, you know, Right. The, the farmer mindset and their faith and their their uh, thought process and you when you get out in rural America you can find some incredible people. Uh, yesterday we were demoing a baler 
next door, there's a guy uh, that is, I can tell collects old junk like my grandpa did. He always <laughs> called it junk. And uh, I looked over there and I thought, I'm going to knock on that guy's door and ask him if he'll show me his stuff because he's got some cool stuff in that barn. You know, and he's an old farmer. Um, I haven't done it yet, but I will sort of find out if he'd be you know, his collection with me. But he's got some neat stuff, and you find some great people in rural America. Right. Well, Ben, uh, and for our young listeners out there, I just want to stop and point out what Ben just mentioned. There's off-the-charts power in doing that, you know. So you looked, Ben, and you saw, the, like, the tractor over there, and you were interested in it. Now, it's one thing to see it and notice it, but it's another thing to go over and knock on the guy's door. You don't know him, but say, hey, and, and that's a powerful thing. I mean, that kind of personal, um, you know, you're just doing it because you're Ben. That's who you are, but uh, that's a that's a powerful business tool, let alone life tool, don't you think? You can come up with ideas, uh, ideas all day long, but it's it's when you execute on those ideas. That's when you learn something, and that's when you when you grow. Is when you try something that you've never tried before, and uh, and it works. Right. And if you try it and it doesn't work, no. now you learn something. Now you can give it a run again. Yeah. No harm, no foul. Yeah, and thank you yesterday for sending me that picture, Ben, of that just beautiful John Deere 7520 sitting. I don't know if it was that guy's or if this was your customer's, but wow, with the mountains in the background. Every time you send those pictures, you probably know this, but I I grew up in the flatland here in Minnesota. It just makes me smile. It's like, man, that's beautiful country you guys are in there. That And that was a customer of, of Pape? That you yeah, were? it was a customer of, of uh, Pape's and... And uh, not not the guy that I just mentioned, but it was a customer of Pape's. Interesting thing about that 7520 on floater tires, it looks it looks different to everybody, you know. And, and a lot of people commented on that on social media about, you know, what are those tires for? Those tires are to float on the mud uh, in the winter because it literally starts raining about the first of November here, and it never quits until about the first of April, middle of April. Okay. So. We try to get our machinery to float on the mud so that we can work um, while everybody else's ground is frozen, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, parked right next to that 7520, and I wish I would have got a picture of the two of them together, was a 9620R with mm. a 2730 disc ripper, a 13 shank disc ripper. Um, it would have been a great contrast of where we were in the 70s versus right. where we are in 2019, right? Right, exactly. Like, what did your grandpa think when, when you know, so he passed a couple of years ago, but when he would see, like, a 9620R or an S680 combine, I mean, what did he what did he tell you on these modern, was he all for it, or what did he think? Well, to be quite frank with you, uh, he said it was all too damned expensive. <laughs> Greg. <laughs> and, and he didn't know how farmers in today's day and age could afford it. Um, but, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't yeah. one of the, that, you know, it's a bad idea. We shouldn't do it right. as much. Right. You know, that 9620R is a, you know, $400,000, $500,000 tractor plus kind of a thing. Right. And, you know, that 7520, I don't know, you probably find out what, what a guy paid for one of those new on machinerypeat.com maybe on your on your new specs page but uh hey thanks for the plug buddy 
<laughs> we've come a long way since the mid 70s right 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 yeah it's amazing yeah i love right, those right. i love those then and now pictures they're they just they just say something um right. now ben i you set me up with this story i I'll, I'll let you tiptoe through it a little bit if you, if you want to but again under the heading of variety of stuff that you're dealing with right before i called you you said you were you're like oh sorry greg i, I literally uh, there was a there was a tractor on fire that I was dealing with. Now, can you are you okay sharing some of that story, Ben? I don't know whether we better get into <laughs> much of that here. Um, yeah, we probably better not touch on this. Okay, that that's for Machinery Repeat podcast after hours or something. Gets into some governmental, right. but no, it's, it's pretty interesting. As you, you know, again, living in Nebraska for years, Idaho boy, so you kind of came out this way, and then you went back. Now you're on the coast. Um, are you finding farmer attitudes even out where you are with all the specialization? Uh, I don't know if you can generalize farmer attitudes about the rest of the year, looking ahead, or where their mind is at. But I'll put you on the spot and say, you know, tell people, tell farmers back here in the Midwest what farmers out west how they're feeling these days. Farmer men, mindset is optimistic yet uh, they're tentative at this point just because merely you don't know until the until the bins are full, right? Right. Um, there's some optimism without a doubt out in the in the world, but there's also some we got some weather concerns happening and some different things going on and growing specialty crops. You just can't count your chickens before they hatch, mm. for lack of a better way of saying it, and so. They're optimistic, but uh, tentatively optimistic is, is the best way to describe it, I would say. Okay, gotcha. And and we should uh, stop here and just, you know, in terms of Pape machinery, what the footprint of the 20-plus stores, again, is it like four states you guys are in out, out west? Would be uh, four states, yes. Idaho, California, Washington, and Oregon. That's okay. Correct. Like how many stores in Oregon? You're pretty populated there. Yeah, we've got as many stores in Oregon as we do anywhere else. Okay. And uh, what is the website? Is it PapeMachinery.com? That's correct. Yes. For PapeMachinery.com. Okay. So you could go out there if you want to. If you're sitting back here in the Midwest, folks, you want to look at some variety of equipment, uh, some good stuff. Go check that out. PapeMachinery.com. And Ben, I'll just leave you with this. Uh, you know, let's let's look ahead here. It's it's mid twenty nineteen. Uh, talk about the farm equipment industry. You've been at it quite a while now, all different angles of the business. If you could snap your fingers, let's say twenty years. Let's say it's about we're coming up on twenty forty. You and I are graybeards now a little bit, but what what do you think will be? Will it be Will be it all be computerized everything or you know where do you where's your head telling you will be? I would say that as much as anything, we will live more so then than we do now in a data-driven scenario. Uh, you know, it'll be quite a bit of automation, I would think, and many many more of the decisions that we make today based on data there will be many, many more made on data then than they are now. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how good we're getting at it, but yet also uh, 
remarkable how far we have yet to go. Right. Well, it's amazing uh, on the topic of, well, John Deere there, some of the things they're doing with the predictive data for customers. Is that big out west as it is back here becoming in the Midwest? I, I forget what Deere calls that program. You you might remember or might know. Uh, uh, expert alerts, I think. Expert alerts on JD Link. We utilize those out here, um, and we we utilize them probably not quite as heavily as they do in the Midwest. But sure. we do utilize them, okay. and uh, I would anticipate that that will expand heavily in the next few years. Right. Yeah, maybe twenty years from now we can just think something in our mind and tell our machines to do it, huh? Maybe that's where we'll be. Maybe so. Maybe so. Well, Ben, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy dude out there. Thanks for telling us about realities out there in, in the Wild West, out in Oregon, and all the cool stuff happening. And now do one thing for me, buddy. You know, I'm yeah. in your ear. Find me a nice auction so we can bring our TV cameras out to Oregon and stop in and film with you guys at, at Pop A Machinery. But then I'd, I'd love to come out and see some of this different type of machinery sell at auction for our TV show. So you keep your eyes peeled, all right? I'll do that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna force you to make good on your promise to come see me one of these days. <laughs> I'll be there. Hey, I've so, you you know I'm a golf nut, and those golf courses down in uh, abandoned dunes there are always beckoning. So I think a a trip out to see Ben and and Pape, what's going on out there, and I'll bring my golf clubs and and uh, yeah, well that sounds like a good vacation. Sign me up, buddy. I'm not a good golfer, but I, I will golf with you, and I will give you a free ride from the airport to, to Bandon or wherever you want to go. All right. Well, now I do understand. If, if I'm remembering this right, Ben, are you kind of a grill master? Oh, I like, yeah, I like that. Okay. Now, 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 we're midsummer here, 2019. What is the, if the top thing if Ben Bear is going to grill something for the fam, having friends over, have, have a lemonade, whatever? What is Ben Bear grilling tonight? You know, we've been making we've been making a mean batch of a mean tri-tip on the Ooh. on the pellet grill. Nice, that's been good. Pellet so that's grill, kind of a favorite lately. Yeah. Okay. Anything you're? Uh, you should probably get on some of those barbecue TV shows. I could see you being a big star out there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I eat enough that I could belong on one. For uh, sure. <laughs> I'm with you, Ben. Thanks again for your time. We'll catch up with you soon. All right, thanks, Greg. All right, thanks a lot, Ben. That was awesome.